This is Parent Q Live, brought to you by the team at Parent Q. Hey friends, welcome back to Parent Q Live. Hopefully it's welcome back. If not, welcome to Parent Q Live if it's your first time listening to our podcast. My name's Carlos Whitaker and my great co-host... Kristen Ivey. We are here today to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart because it absolutely, completely changed the trajectory of my life. And today we're talking about adoption. And what I love about the conversations that we're going to be having today is that we get, we're going to be able to really see various sides of adoption from people. We've got a, a few different families. We've got the Howard family who has just recently begun the journey to adopt a child. So they, I don't even know if they've, they've got a kid yet. No, like they're in the middle of the home study. And then we've got the Nunez family who recently have just gotten their child. So they're eight months in eight right months now in. with their oh, son. You're getting the whole spectrum. And then you've got me. Kristen, you actually sat with me and asked me a few questions. It was so, so fun to get to know your family a little bit more and hear about your adoptive journey as you have had Losiah in your home for 11 and a half years now and to get that perspective. And today's episode is a little bit different because instead of bringing in the adoption expert and interviewing somebody all about, you know, the exact right way to do something Uh or something else, we don't have really an expert on this show. What we have are families who are adopting. Yeah sharing a little bit about their story, their experience, so that we can lean in for a minute and learn a few things that we need to know. One of the fun things we decided to do this episode is to ask some of you guys who've adopted uh, a really simple question. What is one thing you wish people knew about adoption? Every adoption begins with a loss. The birth mother lost the opportunity to raise the child she gave birth to. The child lost the chance to be raised by a birth mother, possibly disconnected from siblings, disconnected from her birth family's history. In transracial adoption, there's the loss of a birth culture. And for families that adopted after infertility, there's the loss of being able to conceive and give birth. So there's this amazing beauty and incredible loss all wrapped up together. I want people to know that adoption is a relational reflection of the gospel. My wife and I adopted our first child through domestic adoption by way of our local Department of Social Services about three years ago. We wanted to adopt before having a biological child. I know this can't be everyone's story, yet it was ours. I hope people make the connection that just as God brought us into his family, when we were without a spiritual home, God gives many of us the opportunity to do that with a child who has no forever relational home. So just like, or in a similar way to the gospel, adoption is painful and beautiful all at the same time. Adoption is not as easy as it seems. It's not as glamorous as it seems. It can be hard and difficult, but it's so worth it. In our situation, our birth mom had some had some issues and some brokenness that we had to navigate with her. So I would just recommend using support in a community, praying, asking for clarity and direction, and walking open-handedly with the whole process. And now we get a chance to hear from our friends Jamie and Adriana Howard. I was first introduced to Jamie and Adriana's story when they posted an announcement video that they were expecting on Facebook. But not in the way many of us might think. They were announcing their adoption. 
After a decade of youth ministry, nine years of marriage, and 14 months through a journey of infertility, Jamie and Adrian were ready to announce a new chapter of their lives. And it struck me as a significant way to engage their circle of friends and family into their adoption story. The video, at that point, we really hadn't shared with, you know, outside of our immediate family and like our small group and stuff, we really hadn't told anybody. And we were getting to the point where like we were starting home study stuff and we're starting to talk about, you know, like the logistics of it. And we're like, okay, we really need to make some sort of, <laughs> we need to clue people in so that yeah. way it's not a function of like someone logs in on Monday on Facebook and they're like, the Howards had a baby. That was weird. I don't even remember them <laughs> being pregnant. <laughs> right. So, um, but we were really excited to do it. And um, gosh, the response was like, amazing like so it really was just like a, a fun way because we like doing creative things anyway so that it was just a fun like outlet for us but it really was just like a function of we just don't want to have to explain this over and over and over again to like a million people so like you know we just will put it out there once and it'll be done and then if people have questions they can ask questions but otherwise like there it's all out and the response was just like so encouraging and overwhelming and it made us like newly excited about the whole process people that we knew in high school and middle school were just mm -hmm. like you know, just being so kind, and it was just like, it was really overwhelming. Um, and we were just like, man, we are adopting. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, right, we're doing this, this is awesome. Yeah. So, it, And I think a really so cool. neat part was, um, you know, kind of in the idea of like redemption, like we had this really sh tough year, you know, mm -hmm. and I feel like that, um, you know, she told me when we were kind of getting to the process where we wanted to tell people, she said, I really want this to be our way of sharing what God's done in our lives and sharing, like to encourage other people mm -hmm. that, it, it's not like it's all for naught. It's like mm. it's, it has a purpose behind it, and um, we definitely saw that. And we have other people that, since we've announced, have said that they're adopting and stuff like that. So it's just been neat to kind of see that that encouragement come into us and then go out to others that we receive from others, that kind of thing. It's just like a cycle keeps going around. Mm -hmm. so. so tell us a little bit about when you first started talking about adoption. Yeah, so um, I think it's been a really neat thing. So Adriana and I both when we before we were even dating had a heart for adoption and mm -hmm. in two different kind of ways and um i remember when i was in high school reading about you know kind of the struggle with um street children in russia and that sort of thing and, and reading a lot about kind of the plight of um parentless children and um and so when we started dating that was like an immediate conversation you know you kind of when you, when you get somewhat serious and you know you start talking about like, basically well, night one we were <laughs> having <laughs> early on in the, the process when we were dating we talked about adopting and we said um this is something that's really in my heart and she said the exact same thing and so it was always a theme of our marriage like that is a thing to do we really love like james chapter one true religion is like loving the widows and the orphans and like this idea that like that is the expression of god the most is like caring for people who don't have anyone caring for them and so it was heartbreaking when we found out that we weren't able to have kids um, naturally but when we got over that grief which was you know there we were incredibly incredibly excited about okay so we have our answer and this is the way we're going and it wasn't a consolation prize mm -hmm. it wasn't a consolation prize. Mm -hmm. yeah and it, it was it was funny because even the day that we found out we were driving home from work and we were just kind of like crying and you know, just having our conversations. We were also like laughing, like immediately, like we just felt such peace from mm -hmm. God about it. And it's just like, we knew, like, even if it's not okay, it's gonna be okay. I, I don't know, I don't, I guess infertility is almost like a taboo thing. Like people just don't like mm -hmm. talking about it. Or if you're struggling with just questions about that kind of thing, people just don't, 
don't know, it's like a weird, not shameful, but it's like a weird, just quiet, in the dark corner sort of thing that you don't talk about unless you have to. So it's been so cool to be able to, um, like even just in conversations with total strangers at the supermarket, like, oh yeah, because we're adopting and this is what we really, like God put this on our heart and it's just been so cool. Like he's like, you know, we were really broken and sad, but like we just had so much peace. It's just been like a really awesome, I don't know, like a point of conversation. And like he said, it's just like God redeemed that year of just like feeling so broken um and now i just you know i mean i certainly don't like, i don't know what god has planned but like i want this this way like this is the way that i want it you know um and like he was saying we've been talking about this gosh for like over a decade now so it was like it was no surprise to us absolutely not it was not a surprise and it wasn't something we had to kind of like psych ourselves into like okay well i mean adoption like we hadn't really talked about it but like it could be good like you know it, it, you know maybe even if we have kids in the future or something doesn't magically happen like this will be great in the meantime it was nothing like that at all it's just like oh like we are having a family we are having right. our kids you know and um, even with our families and stuff like the conversations have been really cool. And when we talked to, um, I know with, with my parents, especially like when we told them, my mom was like, yeah, of course, you've been talking about this for like 20 years. So of course you're adopting, right. you know, like even before you were with Jamie, you were talking about adoption. So it's just been so cool to be like, it looks like it looks, it's like bookends. Like mm -hmm. in the beginning it was adoption. And then in the end it was adoption. In the middle it was all kind of gray and fuzzy, but like it was always going to be this way. What was your first step? Yeah. How did you even start? A uh, lot of crying. Yeah, well, yeah, it started with crying. Yeah, a <laughs> and lot then, of crying. And then to change it up, we cried more. <laughs> <laughs> Big criers over here. No, um, we we certainly um, started with just talking to people. We ha we had some really close friends who just recently adopted in South Carolina. And we also have another another friends that are missionaries in Thailand, and they're adopting right now. So there's people in our lives that we could kind of talk to that are um, going through the same process, and um, we found out they have an adoption kind of committee and they have people that are, are working on this kind of stuff. So, and then you did a lot of research on a bunch of different agencies. Yes, and that kind so of thing. much research. <laughs> so much unnecessary <laughs> research. Definitely necessary. Um, well, yeah. I think in an effort to like feel better about a year where things were totally out of our control, I was like, oh gosh, I'm going into like survival research mode where I was like, um, according to the internet, you know, <laughs> <laughs> adoption accounts for you know, this percentage of, um, yeah. So we did a ton of research. I say we use me, um, <laughs> and <laughs> and um, narrowed it down to a couple that we liked, a couple of agencies that we liked, but it was cool getting to speak with some people that had gone through it, and it really helped to inform our decision. Literally googling like uh, adoption agencies in Georgia, like I didn't know where to <laughs> right. start, you know, and so as far as like what questions to ask, and and we we had a couple of different phone calls with a couple of different agencies before we landed on ours, and. They were telling us all this stuff, and I, I would, I just, I didn't mean to, but I think just like in my, I don't know, overexcitability, I was like cutting them off. I'm like, yes, I read that. I read that on your website <laughs> that you did, you know. But it's just like you need right. to be in control of it because every aspect of it is completely like it feels like a total flip of the coin. So tell us a little bit about the home study. People were like, um, the home study is going to be, it's going to be pretty awful, you know. And we we had, um, they came recently for our home visit. And it was awesome. We loved it. It was really, really great, really smooth. And um, and then last week we had another interview. We've got another one this Friday. It just feels like it's going really fast. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest surprise has been that it hasn't been horrendous. Like I think in my head I had built it up because I did a ton of research, <laughs> which doesn't always it doesn't always benefit right. you. So uh, yeah, I just had these expectations in mind, and it's just it's been. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say a breeze, but like it's been cool. Like I think yeah, there's there's some part of it that. It is really tough, but I think when 
you go into it with the expectation that everything's going to work out. And we definitely believe that like God is working through this and it's going to, we have a kid out there that is somewhere out there and we're going to get that kid. And like this part of the process is something that we can control. We can go get our fingerprints done. We can call this agency. We can do this thing, you know, and there's all these little steps that is like, it feels totally up to us. Like we, it's going to get done as quickly as we do it. And so I think that's been really helpful for us, especially in midst of a year of infertility, you're waiting, you're constantly going, okay, and there's no guarantee. Yeah, yeah there's no like, guarantee. There's nothing you can do to make healthy, it go It's just faster. like it's yeah. this weird, yeah, it's just, there's just so much to consider. So right. after a year of like, well, gosh, that didn't work. Well, that didn't work <laughs> either. I don't know about, you know, yeah. it just, it feels so nice to be able to like put together like almost like a checklist and just get yeah, things totally. done and know that like this is a certainty. Like we don't know how, obviously how long it's going to take. And so we're prepared for it to be a couple of years if that, obviously if that happens, but like there's a certainty at the end of the tunnel there's going to be a <laughs> there will be a baby there will be a baby whereas before yeah. there was no right. certainty yeah. you know so like it's cool to be able to rest a little bit in that and like oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> after a year of like i don't know what's happening this feels so good to be able to be like i know what's happening right i know exactly the child's worth it you know you're getting excited and you're like yeah i have to fill out some forms but that's that's the part of the process that we can do something about and yeah. like that's totally worth it that's is it hard work sure but like it's it's, it doesn't compare to like the worthiness of it all, you know? So mm -hmm. it's a little bit silly to even think of it in those terms. So yeah. Tomorrow we have um, doctor's appointments where we have to do like all these drug screens and all this stuff. And I could easily complain about like, oh my gosh, I have to go to the doctor on a Tuesday, you know? But like, it's so cool to be able to think there's a kid out there or there will be a kid out there who, you know, is in a circumstance, like whatever the circumstance is, or we can look at them at, at one point and say like, like before we knew you, we fought so hard for you, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it just makes it all worth it. Like it doesn't even, it doesn't feel like work if you love the thing that you're doing, you know? Right. And that's the same with this, um, that we just, you know, even on the on the hard days, God, we, like, we love it, you know, because we know what it's for. It was emotional to sit with Jamie and Adriana and hear the tension in their story. They have real confidence in adoption, knowing that it has always been something they anticipated for their family story. But they also have real grief that's no less poignant than it might be for any of us who have lived the long and unpredictable path of infertility. We'll end this adoption story with a few words from them, but before we do, we wanted to follow up with some other families. After Jamie and Adriana, I had an opportunity to sit down with Kim and Ben Nunez. The Nunez decided to adopt after 18 years of marriage and three biological kids ages 18, 15, and 9. Let's hear what they had to say. We landed on March 9th, and that's a Friday. And Saturday, it's like, hey, here's our home. You're super excited about everything. The dogs are just, you know, jumping all over everywhere. And why isn't there any snow? Well, it's Georgia. Um, you know, and he's, he thought that, because the pictures that we sent him, he thought that he was going to see snow and it was still going to be Christmas. And he was just all confused and everything. Sunday, we go to church and we're like, hey, here's your small group. And, you know, it's big and it's loud. Um, and then Monday, we put them in school, in the public school system. So, so new house, new church, new language, new, new, new language, city, new, new weather, you know, like new all family. the new things. Um, so it was rough from March, April, May. It was rough. The first couple of weeks, you know, we didn't hear anything from the school and we're like, uh, you know, was he doing okay? Was, and then, and then the calls came every single day. Um, couple of suspensions, 
couple of times we had to pick him up. We did, yeah. We didn't prepare him super well for what to expect. He, you know, he didn't know the language, so he had to sit there quietly and behave. He didn't know that he wasn't supposed to run out of the classroom and just go do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. He didn't know that moving vehicles, oh, that's another thing, learning how to be in a car uh, with seatbelts and not opening the doors while I was moving. Buses were a new thing to him too, and you know he's trying to open the windows while the bus is moving. So all kinds of things, all kinds of things that he was learning. And he, but he would learn it so fast, and he's learning it really fast. How old um, is Carlos? So he's seven. And now you're having conversations with him, like you can't open the car door while it's driving, which you probably had with your other kids when they were maybe two years yeah. old, yeah, yeah, three yeah. years yeah. old, yeah, right. What did the summer look like? as he was leaving school and you were saying, thank goodness we didn't have that, but now he's in your home mm-hmm. every day, again, a new reality. So the school year was crisis mode with you know just getting him acclimated to the school and trying to get him through a school day. But then summertime was a different type of crisis mode. It became him testing all of his boundaries in the home. So there were many days where it was him going into almost his animal instinct survival survival mode where he would yell and he would, you know, he doesn't know his own strength. So he would break things unintentionally or he would walk out of the house. So that was difficult. And, you know, just watching the other kids kind of react to that and us not really understanding how to help him in the moment and them, of course, not knowing how to help him. So it was it was a good summer for us to grow and to learn as a family, but it was very emotional we sent him to camp. He went to camp for three weeks, not a sleepover camp, but a, like a day camp. And he did well there. You know, he saw kids from school and he got to be active and not just sitting. Um, so he did well at camp and we were excited for school to start back up to kind of see like how he's going to do now that he knows the system, now that he knows what's expected of him. But summertime was, was difficult in a different way. Now the calls that we get or the notes that we get home, because um, they happen still. Um, they're very far and few in between, and it's all stuff that a normal seven-year-old boy gets into. So I'm like, yes, I'm definitely raising my son. But the, but the the thing that we need to concentrate on now is his academics. Like he's definitely behind. But the thing that we get to work on now is his academics and not behavioral, not the fight, flight, or what freeze is, or freeze, which is common, you know. Uh, with kids who've, who've experienced trauma. But. So what resources do you have at your disposal? You talk about maybe not feeling completely prepared for everything that you've encountered over the last eight months. Where do you go for help? That is, that's one of the things that I feel like we were underprepared for. I love to learn, and so I kind of went into books. You know, what book can I read to help me figure out what my son is going through? And how his brain is not processing exactly what I'm intending or what is he processing because of his trauma. So I went academic and I tried to just read the books and we do have social workers that reach out to us and check in every couple of months just to see how we're doing. We, you know, made friends quickly with other adoptive families because it kind of puts you in this little network and it kind of gives you an instant bond. Um, so we reached out to some coworkers who have adopted and so we've just gotten together and shared stories. So community, you know, we have a, a small group that we're kind of getting our, ourselves acclimated with, so we'll talk about that. 
Um, his parents, Ben's parents, are amazing, and so we've kind of leaned into them a little bit as well. How else do you see the change of culture influencing him in your house? Because he has a unique cultural background that he brings to your family. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that play out? What really excites me about that is like his joy for things that he experiences for the first time or even that was kind of magnified in Colombia. Um, the beautiful scenery, like every time he sees something beautiful, he just is in awe of it. You know, if you're driving down the road and you see a tree, you're like, great, you know, that's a tree. But him, like, because they they love that kind of stuff in Colombia, they really admire beauty and very colors. Passionate. Very passionate. So that's fun to experience to, for him to just be passionate about so many things that you just might take for granted. Um, something difficult would, that his counselor actually told us to work on is the concept of personal space. Because in um, where he's from in Colombia, personal space is not is not a thing. And, but here, you know, people do enjoy their personal space. But he'll be walking, and he could be walking just right next to you and bumping into you, and he just pays no attention to it. So he's having to learn, like, everybody has a bubble. <laughs> and I have to stay in my bubble, and I can't go in someone else's bubble. So that's been difficult, but it's fun to watch him, his pure joy and pure yeah. passion with things that... And we get, when he gets really excited about things he likes, and it doesn't matter if it's sight, smell, like any of those, it, it's always delicious. Like, mm. ooh, look at that rainbow, delicious. <laughs> and food, because, you know, food is really big in Colombia. Oh, yeah. So fruits, um, we have to get fruits all the time. and We never have to ask him if he wants french fries or, or fruits at Chick-fil-A. He's like, oh, yeah, fruits. <laughs> just fruit. Definitely. I just want fruit. What? So that's, that's been something, too. He prefers fruit and juice over anything so we're stocked up (laughs) yep so talk about how he's connecting with the rest of his siblings he has an older brother two older sisters how are the sibling relationships okay i'm I'm gonna jump in on this one now so i have a younger brother right and i remember our you know days back when we were young when you would just Hug each other. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and build things and build Love forts. Love each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, they're really close in age. And it's one of those, like, Kim will ask me, is this a brother th- Is this a brother thing? Is this a culture thing? Is this an adoption thing? Like, what? And most of the time, I'm like, ah, this is definitely a brother-sibling thing. <laughs> um, you know, they pick at each other. They correct each other. They compete. But what's also really great is they, um, and these are just the brothers, they um, they push each other to, to be the best versions of themselves. And, and then they hold each other accountable. And so we're, we're trying to figure out how to best help them regulate that instead of correcting them, but helping, but um, encouraging them having them encourage each other and that's not going to come for a while but it, you know as long as we keep speaking into that that's I feel like it'll get to that place and for the first time I think it was a month ago he said hey I want to go get Jackson a treat and we're waiting for like the yeah and then I'll get myself a treat and that didn't happen and so we were like really surprised we're like wow that was a win that was huge Jackson like that's his natural tendency like he just wants to give everything to everybody for the girls, uh, since Kirsten is now out of the house, when she comes home, she just plays this uh, this older sister who's out of the house, and she it's always fun and games. So it's almost like the the grandparents who come in town and they just spoil them and then they leave. 
<laughs> right? It's kind of like that. With Maddie, she's now going from middle child to oldest, and she's taken on this role like straight on. And, you know, she's always just trying to, I mean, with middle child tendencies, you're always trying to kind of play that everybody get along role. And so she does that really well. And she's really strong. She has a strong personality. So, so she can do that with the boys and they listen to her, which is great. So knowing what you know now, eight months in, what would you tell somebody who is thinking about adopting a kid? They're maybe interested in beginning the process. I mean, what advice would you have for them? Build your community. Like reach outside of your comfort zone and go and find people who don't run in the same circles. But also, you know, talk to close friends and build your community of, of uh, people who will support you and challenge you. I think it's so important to listen to have those close friends who will ask the tough questions that make you feel really uncomfortable um, because you have to think about it. The conversation with Ben and Kim, having brought home their son from Columbia only eight months ago, was such a firsthand reminder of the struggle many families face. It was a reminder that adoptive parents ask the same questions most other parents are asking. Is this a sibling thing? Is this an eight-year-old thing? But then there are oftentimes the added questions of, is this an adoption thing? Or is this something cultural? Next, I sat down with my friend and co-host, also named Carlos, to talk about his and Heather's journey with adoption. Like the Nunes, they chose to adopt after having two biological children, Sohela and Sayana. They began the process long before their son was even conceived, and as Carlos shared the story with me, he confessed they even gave up halfway through the process. But they did eventually find their son, Losiah, and they brought him home when he was seven months old. He's now been their son for 12 years, and let's hear what Carlos has to say about their adoption story. It's weird because it's weird to even talk about adoption because we don't really even think about it. Carlos, you actually shared the day you brought your son home through an incredible video on YouTube. And we're going to link to that in our show notes for anyone who wants to experience more of where this story really started for your family. But now take us back to your first year with Losaya. What did that year look like? Yeah, well, I was still on staff as a worship pastor at a church in Riverside, California, and Honestly, it was, it was pretty easy, to be honest with you. That, that first year, because he was so young, he was just a baby. It was just kind of baby, baby land. Our girls were really little at the time as well, so they were like three, three and four, maybe two and three. And so it was a little bit more chaotic adding a, a child. You know, Heather, Heather actually talks a lot about how when you, when you adopt an infant, you're getting all the, all the baby stuff that comes with an infant, but you didn't get any of the kind of hormonal shifts that are happening in, in your body as you, you know, have the baby and prepare to have the baby. So she said that, that that was a little difficult for her to have to jump into. He was, um, he was sick a lot. He was really little when we got him. We didn't get a, a whole lot of good medical information on it. We know he was in the hospital for a month. We don't know why he has re- had really bad lungs. So he was sick a lot, but that, that first year was, you know, I, I think it was, it was kind of a honeymoon. You know, we were surrounded by an incredible church community. Losiah has this gift, even when he was a baby, of just having huge favor over his life. And people, I mean, he just, 
he would just look at in people's eyes and people were all in, you know, and they just loved him. And so, yeah, so it was, it was good. I mean, it, it was, a, it was, a, it was a good first year. I think, I think, uh, year two got more difficult year, year two for us when, when, um, I mean, he just, he's kind of, once he turned to a toddler, <laughs> we just, I, let's just be honest. He was just a toddler boy and we had two girls and it was just completely different than anything we'd ever experienced. So you say that after 12 years with Losaya, you just aren't thinking about adoption all that much, that you forget he's adopted. Has there ever been a moment when you realized that Losaya was maybe thinking about his own adoption more than even you and Heather? We were celebrating Mother's Day and he was, ah, he was pretty young. He was pretty young when, when this happened. And he just was, he, he's normally a really happy-go-lucky kid, but this Mother's Day, like he wasn't. He was like bummed. He was kind of sad he was crying a lot he was getting fights with the sisters and we were like what is going on and then it's it just go figure it just clued into me oh my gosh it's mother's day right now we're celebrating heather but i went up to him and i said hey buddy are you thinking about your birth mom right now and he just lost it just started crying at six or seven years old uh, yeah and then he just started saying do you think she is thinking about me do you think she mm -hmm. is and whoa, like the the overwhelming nature of that conversation, I missed out on a whole bunch of opportunities to to connect him back to that. You know, I think as a as an adoptive dad, sometimes you know, I mean, if I can just be vulnerable, sometimes we want to we want our kids to we want to imagine that they're just thinking about us, and there's no pain of them wanting to go back or wondering what it would be like to mm. be raised with a different family. All all these things, like. Uh, in my perfect world that he wouldn't think that, but that's, that's not the world I live in. And that's what he's thinking about, mm -hmm. you know? And so we, um, we, I, that was the first time that I realized I've got to make his birth mother a lot bigger deal around us. So we started celebrating her more, started talking about her more. He has 13 brothers and sisters. Oh, wow. And they're all older than him. He was the youngest. And his oldest brother is two years older than me. Legitimately talking about going back when he turns mm -hmm. 18 and trying to find some of these brothers and sisters. And I'm getting less fearful of that and more excited. Is that something you, know? you thought you would do when you first brought Losiah home? Yeah, I think so. I think there was a romantic idea of it, of like, oh, we're gonna go back and you know, meet your birth parents. And I think when, you're, when, he's, when he's an infant or a toddler, you know, that seems romantic. And then when he's 10 and 11, it's, you know, and he's like, I may move back to Korea one day. And I'm like, no, you know? And then, so the reality of that starts hitting in, and now, now that he's becoming a young man, he'll be 13 next year. It's super important. It's mm -hmm. really, really important. We, and we've done, we've done things, you know, we, we, we put him in Korean school. The girls have taken Korean school with him. Heather has taken Korean school with him. Wow. That didn't last very long, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think all, even Lisa is like, I mean, that's fine, but you know, I'm not like dying for that. And, uh, things are getting, um, more complicated. Now you mentioned at one point that he has different food preferences than you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're, they're, I mean, there's, there's definitely DNA stuff happening. There is, he will eat like the seaweed wrappers that go inside of, um, what's it called? Um, sushi, like mm -hmm. the little seaweed thing, like potato chips, like he just <laughs> downs those things. And the smell makes me want to vomit. Like no one else in our family eats those things. But whenever we go to H Mart and we don't have one in Nashville, so we have to either go to Atlanta or something, we stockpile those, those chips. So he'll eat those things. And then also it's, it's funny. I mean, he, he squats like when he when he sits like he'll sit at the table and just squat like he and that's how he's comfortable sitting you know and i can't i can't touch my toes without bending my knees at a 90 degree angle and so it just seeing him like that i'm just like wow there's something else you know <laughs> it's just it's just in him it's in him and so uh, those are some fun kind of things 
You mentioned that things are getting a little bit harder as he's entering preteen years, moving on into adolescence. What do you feel like that looks like in your home, especially when you're raising a child where it was an international adoption, you have some blended cultures. How does that play out in your family? It's, it's a day at a time. We, luckily, I have, a, I have a wife that has a gift of discernment and of really seeing things way before anybody else can see them. But we have to remember, uh, you, you have to remember that just because, you know, you adopt a child when they're an infant. A lot of people want to do- adopt infant children because they think, oh, they're an infant. They haven't had life experience that they're going to bring in. Um, but I, I really honestly believe that, you know, there are, there's, you know, spiritual things, DNA things that come into your family when you're, you know, some soul tie things that when you're, when you're bringing a child into your, in your home that you didn't conceive yourself. And so some of those things, some of his tendencies, some of the things that I think the, the four of us don't necessarily deal with, we're, we're finding as he's kind of preteen now, this is not just like the third kid kind of with something different. He has a completely different way of handling this than the rest of us do. And so how can we come around that and how can we really help him when, you know, if he's struggling with some things that maybe none of us struggle with. And so helping him deal with that, but then also helping us learn that that's okay. And, you know, he's just, he's built a little bit differently. And so some of the conversations are getting a little bit harder. Um, Adoptions coming up in his friend groups more, Hmm. um, never, never had before. And so suddenly, you know, he's having to explain adoption to friends, whereas it never was an issue. And now it, now suddenly it is with his friends. He's feeling the brunt of, and this is a little bit different, but he's feeling the brunt, I think, of some some racism mixed, mixed with some charm in the South, you know, like, mm. like w- with, you know, he's feeling that and he's, he's bringing that to me and he, he doesn't see a lot of people that look like him in Nashville. So those things are becoming more prevalent in our conversations. And, you know, it, it's taking me, you know, I'm answering a lot less than I used to. I used to have an answer for everything. And now I'm just like, I'm just quiet a lot more and I'm thinking and I'm helping him kind of process these things. And that's what really helps to have that other adult in his life, whoever that may be. It doesn't have to be a therapist, but it really helps us when David is able to, you know, work some things out with him in that aspect. So, you know, I think some of that is adoption plays into it. Some of that's just, you know, becoming a teenager. I think when you have both, I think it gets a little bit, um, a little bit more intense from the research I've done and a lot of the training we, we had going into our adoption it's pretty common that when a adopted internationally adopted child hits teenagehood there's there can get to be some i wish i was never part of the family i wow. um you know we, we've had some nobody in this family loves me my other family loves me more some of that stuff uh, is just you know those are lies but they're they're lies that you know have have come to surface that we have to help him break and so yeah it's 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 getting more complicated i wouldn't say difficult but it is getting more complicated hmm. and uh it, you know, when you adopt a kid, you're, you're not just adopting him for the baby phase, you know, yeah. you're adopting him all the way into adulthood and wow. all, all that stuff that it brings. You threw out a big word there when you said racism uh-huh. and that kind of struck me because I'm thinking about your particular family yeah. where you are from a minority background and you've even talked with us before about how your two girls, your two daughters, because mm-hmm. of their skin tone, yeah. same DNA, same background, yeah. experience racial tension in a different way. Yeah. And now you have a son who is of a different ethnic minority. Sure. All what three are, yeah. What does that 
look like in your home? How do you, how does that influence the way you even process race yeah. in a different um, way? When Heather, Heather says all the time that when she used to go to the grocery store with her white child, her brown child, and her Korean child, that, that she felt like the store clerk was always like, you need to choose a man. Like, <laughs> you, you need to pick, you know, like, you, which dad, which dad are you going to stay with? You know, and she's like, no, 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 no. Actually, two of them are mine. One's adopted. Not all three of them come from different fathers. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's funny, but but we get that all the time. You know, we, we get it all the time. And, you know, you, you would think that in 2018, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. But I mean, Losai was in a group, a, a public setting with a, a supervising adult standing on a stage and some kid screamed out chink. Some, some like 11 year old, you know, mm. which, which to me, it's like, okay, that 11 year old had to hear that from somewhere, probably from the home. And so, you know, I, we had to have a, you know, the, the supervising adult was mortified for my son to have to deal with that, you know, in a way that, you know, that was a different word than I've ever been called. Mm. So it comes with a different, different connotation. It mm. comes with, um, yeah, you know, and so, so we started having conversations because of that moment with him and asked him, has this happened before? And he's like, Oh, it, oh, oh, a little emotion kind of came in me. I mean, he, he started telling me about just like friend groups that we know about that maybe even t up to two years ago, you know, some friends would call him flat face. Mm. And I was, I was like, what? And he never told us this. And I don't think he, you know, at the time, I think he just thought, oh, I have a flat face, a flatter face. Maybe that's why they, but no, you know, like it's, it just is gutting as a parent when, so suddenly he, that started coming up and really that we realized he was dealing with it in ways that that we never thought he was. And and to be honest, I felt because I deal with racism myself as a black Panamanian man living in the South. I used to think, oh, well, Lasai is not dealing with this. I'm dealing with I'm the one that's struggling with this. Like I'm the one that's being, you know, um, stared at and followed in stores and all these things. Mm -hmm. When I never, ever, ever thought, oh, my Korean son would, would struggle with the same thing in different ways. So, um, yes, it is a, it is a conversation that happens in our home all the time. We talk about it all the time, uh, now, and it's been incredible to watch him grow through it and know now, I mean, he'll say things like dad, the, the person that called me that is, you know, that they're, they're believing when lies we about themselves Hawaii, and trying to make themselves feel better a couple years Hawaii. ago. I'll never forget the, the kind of when his eyes lit up, when he started seeing, cause we're in Hawaii, he started seeing people from Japan. Mm. people because it's just closer to Hawaii and suddenly half the people in Hawaii look like him mm. and he, he made that statement dad everyone looks like me mm. and so that kind of made me excited of like just wait till we go to Korea and your dad is the one that looks you know that's a super 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 minority wow. so um yeah pretty exciting do you feel like having Losaya in your home has opened your eyes um, to be empathetic with people in a different way than maybe you would have been without that oh yeah yeah Absolutely. I think that having kind of three cultures, we're kind of like a gap out of a family, right? Like we, we, we just look like, it's like, oh yeah. You know, it's funny how many times like my family has been asked to be in video shoots when the kids were younger. Hey, can you just bring your three kids? Cause it looks like they're from three different parts of the world. And so because of that, that has, um, I don't know. I think, I think it's been super helpful for us. Like it really, we are very, I think more accepting than even if we wouldn't have adopted Losaya. I think that, you know, just, just a couple weeks ago, he saw the commercial for Crazy Rich Asians. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he's 12. I'm not necessarily going to take him to the movie, but I could see how excited he was. He's like, Dad, that's the number one movie in, in America. And it's all about Asians, he said, <laughs> Asians. And, uh, and yeah, he was excited, you know? Like, I was like, 
that gave him some some sort of confidence. Something kind of rose up inside of him. And so, yeah, it it, it has definitely um, blossomed our family into a place that I don't think we would have gotten to without him. You know, he he is the Lord was very kind when 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 he placed him with us because he our family wouldn't be the same without him. And he matches. He just he's a perfect fit for us. And so and I know that's not always the case. And so we're we're, we're pretty blessed to have him. So if somebody were to come to you tomorrow and say, hey, we're considering adoption. Yeah. Give us some advice. What would you say? What would you tell somebody who's right in the zone of trying to figure out whether or not they're going to bring another child into their home? Wow. Well, I'd say to pray about it and not just to check that off the list, not, not use, I'm going to pray about it. We prayed about it and checked it off the list because we feel like we should do it. But if you're going to pray about adopting a kid, maybe go read some books on how to hear from God, mm-hmm. like really step into, into that. If you're going to use prayer as part of your decision-making process, then if you, you ask, make sure you hear. And if you do hear, just know that this isn't going to be plug and play. Like adopting a kid isn't like, like an app on your iPhone. Like you can just, you know, and everything works smoothly because, and then the developers with every new operating system change, <laughs> they change the app to update to that. It's, it's not like that. And so human beings, souls understand that their story and all parts of their story is going to come into your home and that that is exhausting mm. and it is sometimes overwhelming. And so be prepared for, for those things. And you know what? I believe that people have, there are people that have been called to adopt. I also believe there's been people that have not been called to adopt. So not everybody is meant to adopt. So kind of, you know, look that through. There's, um, there's a lot of great informational meetings that people can go to, to learn about adoption. We we're obviously super partial to Holt International. That's where we adopted and they do a lot of international adoption. So if you go to the website, Holt International will put their website in the show notes. They have a lot of great resources on, um, on adoption. And so just study, pray. And once, once you do it though, it's the greatest blessing. I mean, it, it, I cannot fathom my life without my son. And uh, I like I like to say, I, we had two girls, and I knew I'd make another one, so I went and got a boy. And <laughs> and he he has been he was the he was the right one. Like God knew before, our head shapes are like the exact same roundness. Like God knew he was setting aside of us. And so, um, you know, if you're if you're thinking about adoption, it's one of the greatest things you could ever do, but also one of the hardest things that you'd ever have to do. If you're an adoptive parent listening along with us today and any of the stories resonated with you, we hope you'll visit the ParentQ Facebook community to share your thoughts with us. We really believe that we're all better together. And not only do we want to hear more about your story personally, but we also want other parents to hear your story. If you aren't an adoptive parent, but you're listening to this episode, we hope that you'll reach out to a family you know who is maybe beginning their adoption journey. Send them some encouragement. Maybe give them a pack of diapers or another tangible gift to let them know you're thinking about them this week. Now, we realize that this week is a little bit of a deviation from the typical Parent Q format. For those of you who are used to listening for the one Q at the end of the episode, we actually don't have one this week other than to engage us as parents in a conversation about how we can better support each other when adoption is part of the family narrative. But before you go, We want to make sure that you know about a few things. First, you are not going to want to miss next week's episode, I promise. Next week, we're beginning a three-part series on parenting your kid to have technological responsibility. We have some absolutely remarkable guests and giveaways, so just make sure you're tuned in. Subscribe to the podcast, share about the podcast, 
definitely spread the word because you're going to want to tune in next week. Also, if you haven't checked out the Parent Q store at parentqstore.org, you should head over there, check it out. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. What kind of resources are you interested in? Listen, thank you for being part of my family and friends. It's always an encouragement for me to hear from you, to know that we're in this together. So until next time, this is Kristen Ivey signing off for myself, Carlos Whitaker, and the rest of the Parent Q team. We'll see you next week.